0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection Interview Series. This is Michael Coleman, and this week I spoke with re-recording mixer, Tom Fleischman, who worked on director Alex Gibney's music bio doc, Mr. Dynamite, The Rise of James Brown. Pioneering the journey from rhythm and blues to funk, James Brown forever changed the face of American music. Mr. Dynamite follows the journey of Brown as he escaped his impoverished Southern roots to become the biggest name in soul music and one of the most important music talents of the 20th century. I hope you enjoy. Well, um, let's, let's just jump into it. I mean, like, what, what were your thoughts when you first found out about this project? Who who reached out to you, and what did they tell you that they were trying to do?
1: Well, I had worked on the, as you know, the uh, history of the Eagles with Alex Gibney mm-hmm. uh, in 2012, and uh, I guess it was late in uh Well, it must have been late in 2013. I got a call from the post-production supervisor who had been one of the producers of uh, the, George of the uh, Eagles, okay. to say that Alex Gidney wanted to book some time for a James Brown documentary, and, uh, and also a, a Sinatra documentary.
0: Oh my gosh, okay.
1: we're about to start at the end of January. Oh, nice,
0: okay. Uh,
1: so that was, you know, the end of 2013. They booked it for the spring of 14th. Uh, so I knew, you know, a couple months ahead of time that I was going to be involved in it. And, uh, you know, I had, I had kind of been a James, I mean, I grew up back then when he was, you know, in the 60s and 70s. So I knew, obviously, you know, I was never a real big fan of James Brown, but I always liked his stuff. But I never really delved into it the way that uh, the film does.
0: And I guess what, were they, what was the goal um, of this film? I mean, was it just a, a chronological retelling of his life and his music?
1: Well, I think it was more about the music, really. Yeah, uh, it seemed to me that the film really focused on the music, much less so than his personality. I mean, there was obviously elements of that in it too, uh, but it, you know, it was focused on the band and the music and the development of the music from where he started uh, to the you know to the end when, he, when he, all the all the punk artists and the, and the rappers were using his samples yeah. in their work. Yeah. Uh, so you know, he it was just an interesting history of the musical arc. Really, I thought There was also you know the political stuff was interesting too. The, all of the anecdotes about the band members and their interactions and how he you know how they were treated and what a tyrant he was and he, yeah. you know, he fired everybody and brought in a <laughs> band. I mean, that was all really interesting. Yeah. But I think that un- that was all kind of sort of backstory to what was happening to the music, mm-hmm. where it was going from you know rock you know uh, rhythm and blues stuff in, in the beginning where he was you know working with Little Richard to the end when uh, he was working with Bootsy Collins and they were doing like almost pure funk.
0: Yeah, I love that story. It's so fun. Yeah, the material that that you were given to work with, it seemed that a lot of this material so I'm not sure tell me was it material that hasn't been released it has it been released in different formats what was the story on a lot of this music material
1: I think a, well the, some of this had not been released obviously some of the you know a lot of it was archival stuff yeah television interviews the Tammy show was all obviously out there yeah but i think that the uh, the concert that opens and closes the film uh, had not maybe been seen before i'm not sure okay. where that footage came from that was sort of the roughest in sound wise uh, all we had was this horrible house mix that, that's in the movie okay. and there really wasn't a whole lot we could do with it I mean I think it might have been left right stereo but yeah. it, it was definitely you know it was some kind of a board mix mm. uh, and it was very rough and still is Yeah, but the, the nature of the film was sort of it lent itself to that so uh, I think you know it worked in spite of the crappy quality, at work.
0: <laughs> and, and how how was the rest of the material delivered to you? What what kind of formats were you given?
1: Uh, well, it was mostly all. I mean, obviously, all of the dialogue was was normal interview. You yeah. know, the on camera interviews right. were what, what they are. Uh, the James Brown stuff was all archived. Most of it was from television shows and interviews that he had done mm-hmm. on film, uh, and a lot of that was very rough as well. Um, as far as the music goes, it was, you know, a lot of it was from his records.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: there was a few live performances. And, you know, there was the thing in Boston with the, with the Neil Wyatt in Boston. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, obviously archival track. And most of it was either delivered to us in mono or just in stereo. Uh, we didn't really have any, it wasn't like Get On Up where they took the original tracks and augmented them. Okay. We didn't do any of that. Right. This was just straight archival. Documentary. Yeah. You know, was that there was no 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 enhancement afterwards. So it was just what whatever was, whatever the tracks as they existed. Um, and but you know that's what I had to do, deal with.
0: What did you find in terms of of the upper and, and low end? Were you was there much information there? there
1: wasn't were, much. No, no, I, no, no, no. It wasn't much there. I mean, I I did quite a bit of EQ on the tracks and mm-hmm. tried to reduce some of the noise. Uh, obviously tried to make some kind of stereo image out of it. I Mm -hmm. used a little bit of reverb and surrounds and maybe a little sub if it worked. But uh, no, it was pretty straightforward. I mean, we were treating it as a television documentary. It wasn't ever meant for theatrical release. So we weren't all that concerned with with, uh, making it sound beautiful. It was a matter of telling the story and using the actual material. Uh, so that you know that's that was Alex's focus in the film.
0: That's amazing. When when you when you're going into a project and you know that you're not going to have a theatrical release did I mean that I'm sure it didn't really dilute the work that you guys were doing but did you find that you you were letting things go because how people are going to Oh,
1: it's not a matter of letting things go. I mean, We had yeah. a certain amount of time yeah. to do what we had to do and you know we tried to do the best we could with what we had.
2: Yeah. Um
1: but, you know, at, at a certain point, you, you, when you get a track that's, you know, an old, badly recorded, and maybe it's off an optical film or something, mm-hmm. uh, there's only so far you can go with it. I mean, it, there's only so much you can do, and there's a point of diminishing returns where you're just sort of spinning your wheels and making it mm-hmm. minutely better uh, over a vast amount of time. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, as a mixer, I have to always sort of judge that line. And, you know, when am I wasting time and when am I actually accomplishing something? Okay. And uh, you know, so I, I go through it and try and make it sound good as good as I can with the tools that I have.
0: Yeah, where, where that's did you basically the way that, yeah, I, yeah. that I
1: approach?
0: Where did you end up mixing this film?
1: Oh, we mix it soundtrack FT in New York.
0: Okay, it, where I
1: normally work.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I find that not only having the right facility, but having the right team. And I see that like, there's uh, Chris Fielder as an assistant sound editor, and um, yeah,
1: well, the C5 team was terrific. Phil so yeah. Stockton, obviously. Um, and Chris, you know, Chris is a master logician in terms of keeping things organized and getting stuff to the stage and having it in the right formats. And, uh, and you know, the sound editor, Jennifer Tunnington, uh, uh, did, did a great job on the tracks. They they all did a great job putting this stuff together, you know, getting it organized and
0: cut. What, what do you find when working on a, a music documentary? Do you turn off your... Your other side of your brain, which is used to doing feature film. Well, it's
1: not a matter of really turning off the other side of my brain. It's just a different. It's a different story being told. Yeah. It's a different kind of a film. It's not. I mean, it's a film. It's going to be on a screen. The screen <laughs> right. is going to be smaller. Yeah. But but it's it's not a it's not a dramatic film. So yeah, I approach it differently. Um, uh, I usually have a lot less time to work on a documentary than I do a feature, right. so that's a that's a big factor. Obviously, you know, schedule is important. You you have to get, you know, ninety or ninety minutes of material done in a certain number of days. You have to budget your time, so uh, that's also that's a factor in terms of the way I think about approach the project. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, how much do I have to do every day? Yeah, and, you know, where are the complicated areas and maybe there are easier areas where I can spend a little more time here and, you know, I'll get through the next part faster. Right. So, you know, it's important for me to see the film ahead of time uh, and, and understand what the focus of the, you know, if it's a documentary certainly it's going to be focused. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's a different way of Working really because you're not as a, you're not really as attuned to fine fine detail in a documentary as you mm-hmm. are in a feature. You know in a feature every footstep, every little sound is very carefully considered. Yeah. And in a documentary it's it's much looser because you're working usually with documentary material, cinema verite material. Mm-hmm. You know you may have on camera interviews, fucking heads, and obviously in that in that sense you want to clean those tracks up and make those as as good as you can. But the the archival material, the documentary material, uh, it's a little easier to, you know, let that play as it is because that's the reality. That's what the movie's about. It's about yeah. documentaries, so so you want the real track to be the real track. And if it's got mic hits in it, and if it's got wind noise, that's really okay. I just finished uh, working on a documentary just last week.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Fantastic. It's going to premiere at Sundance called Maru mm-hmm. about these three. Alpinists who climbed this peak in the Himalayas that had never been climbed before. And the tracks were all full of wind noise and <laughs> you know, yeah. hits and you know, all kinds of stuff, and it was great. It really worked. Yeah. So it's all a matter of what works with the image that you're looking at. I mean, you can do anything yeah. as long as it works to tell the story you want to tell. So if, if a rough, bad-sounding track is helping to tell the story, that's a good thing in a documentary yeah. whereas in a feature you know you, you really want to make things sound really nice all the time what what
0: do you, what do you yeah what do you find with a with a director like Alex uh, Gibney, who's who's had an incredible experience in documentary films how does he approach the soundtrack well
1: he's he's just really focused on the story okay i mean in 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 documentaries i don't think there's as much focus on uh the soundtrack as a soundtrack yeah uh, unless it's something like James Brown or yeah. the Eagles or something like that, where it's a musical thing, then obviously you want to get the best quality you can get with the material that you've got. Yeah, and uh, you know, Alex has been very happy with the work that I've done. I think, and you know, I enjoy <laughs> working with him. He's, yeah, he's obviously uh, you know a master documentarian. All his stuff is really good.
0: What, so, what is it about um, just how documentary filmmakers approach their sound? I mean, it's more of a like you're saying, they're focused on the story, but what are, what are other aspects that maybe they have versus a feature film? Well, there's
1: music, obviously. You know, music is important in documentaries just as it is in features. Yeah. So I think that's probably the part where the most creative kind of stuff comes. Even in a non-musical documentary, mm-hmm. uh, music can be used very effectively, and sound transitions. Um, it's very important the way that in in James Brown documentary obviously it was very important in the way that the voices were timed with the music so that the parts of the music that we wanted to hear could be heard and i could bring them up you know to a level that was good and then get it back down again under the voice that was upcoming uh and a lot of the success of how, how that's done is in the way that the music is placed with the voice, so that you can you, know, you can easily make uh, volume changes without the audience really being that aware of them. Yeah, and so the whole thing just kind of flows. Well,
0: what are you finding today? Is there a different approach of of what these home, I guess I don't know if it's a home theater mix, whatever the, this the mix that you, the, theat, <laughs> the the final mix that you're doing that's going to be ending up on you know TV or on you know, on-demand type of things?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, well, this obviously is a uh, considerable amount of consideration given to that. Um, all the mixes that I've been doing for television have been 5.1. Boardwalk Empire, right. all of the documentaries, they're all 5.1 mixes.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, I haven't done any kind of uh, other kind of formats, like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what exists for television now, no. but... Do, people do have 5.1 home theaters for the most part. And I think there may be some people who have Atmos set up at home or 7.1 set up at home, but I can't think of anything that's been done for those formats, for home formats. Yeah. Uh, beyond 5.1. So all of our focus is that. And uh, it's, it's a matter of meeting the standards, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, there's this dial standard, all of that exists for, for, uh, for these mixes. Yeah. Uh, And that's something that we don't really think about as much when we're doing features because features are recorded as a, you know, obviously kind of technical wonky thing, but the environment that you do a feature in is different from what we're mixing from television. You want to have less dynamic range in the track for television uh, than you would want in in a big theater. Mm. Um, So the way that, you know, the way we do that is to turn the monitor down to a lower level, record the track higher. Mm-hmm. And don't let it get you know you know sort of limit the dynamic range of the track. Yeah. Uh, uh, these are all considerations in terms of. Is, is that what, is that what, was was Yeah. Well, I, them, I just right? think
0: I, I think as we see the trend of of a lot of projects end up on streaming formats, whether it's Amazon or Netflix or HBO, you know, whatever it might yeah. be, we're we're going to be finding that people are going to be hearing and and seeing these potentially through through earbuds or through well that's true through yes. tvs and you
1: really you know i don't really try not to concern myself that, with that too much right i mix in a 5.1 environment uh, i don't necessarily monitor it on near field speakers unless someone asks me to yeah <clears throat> um i think that you know there's you really can't mix for every possible way that the track is going to get folded
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, You know, it's either folded, either you you fold it down to a stereo and provide that, or it gets done in the set-top box, or it gets done in the uplink or downlink from the satellite, or somewhere that's going to happen. And and as a mixer, we don't really have a whole lot of control over how that happens. So um, uh, I know that in my room, you know, I trust my room enough, I've mixed in there enough, so that I know that if I do a proper 5.1 mix, and it's it down to an LTRT stereo track that will work yeah and it will play just fine um, and then I you know then it goes out into the world and what happens to it happens to it and yeah. uh, you know that's sort of beyond my control
0: right I mean that's always been the case uh, I just I feel like and then the
1: other thing is yeah. that it's a budgetary issue too because if you you know if a producer wants you to prepare a track for each type of format then you know they have to pay for it take
2: yeah Right, you
1: know, and that then nobody has, has a budget for that. I mean, once in a while you get to do a a feature. You know, these days, now we're doing home theater mixes, so that's another day of mixing. Yeah, um, but that's something that they put in the budget.
0: Yeah. So, I think that's just. I think it's a trend of, of, you know, maybe five years ago, I don't know how long ago this wasn't as much of a kind of a thing on, on people's r- uh, radar or map, and, and nowadays it's yeah. it's where things are headed. So I'm curious, you know, from a Mixing standpoint, what is it that you can hold on to? And what types of things you can't really spend much time on just because you know you only have so much time?
1: Well, I think that, uh, you know, obviously, when you're going from a feature environment to a television environment, in terms of a series, for example, I am mean, yeah. we're not talking about documentaries, not talking about a, a dramatic series, uh, we those, you know. You don't have five weeks to mix in an hour and a half or two hours. You have five days to mix forty-eight or fifty minutes. Right. So uh, obviously you you know you work differently, and you have to let certain things go. You just mm-hmm. have to. You don't have time to do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that I you know I mean, normally when I'm doing a feature I do pre dubs. I do a dialogue pre dub, very carefully done. I integrate the ADR. Uh, before I even look at any sound effects or music, yeah. uh, with a television show like Boardwalk Empire, I just put everything up at day one and start mixing. Yeah, you know, and mix it all together. You know, all at yeah. once, uh, no preamps. Yeah, uh, and that seems to have worked. You know,
0: <laughs> all right. What, what, how do you find the translation for for a lot of these TV mixes?
1: The translation is fine. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any problem. I, 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 you know, I bring things home. I watch stuff on my TVs. I've got a couple of different TVs here. I watch it in different rooms. Um, uh, I, I don't really have a problem. My room, I know, I trust my room, and I know when I do a proper five-one mix in my room, it's going to translate just about anywhere. Uh, that's not something that you know. I mean, I think that's the that's the main thing is that if. If you trust the environment you're working in, if you know it, and you know that it translates, then it's sort of, you don't worry about it anymore, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I mean it's different when you, can, when you can go into a theater and listen to your mix with an audience and hear a reaction, but now we're talking about going into someone's home and hearing their, their stereo bar or something.
1: Right, well, you know, listen, you don't have any control over that. So, you know, some people have good setups and some people don't have, you know, any setups. I come home and listen to it off the speakers on my television set.
0: I mean, it was funny. I mean, I listened to this on my iPad with headphones, yeah. you know, at like, you know, two in the morning or something. Uh-huh. And it, yeah. it, it's it, there's still uh, I mean, the work translates. There's still great emotion. And, and I feel like exactly you know, it, that's exactly the, that's the goal. It, it,
1: as, as mixers. You know, it, it was always drilled into me in the beginning that if anyone notices what you're doing, you're not doing it right. Yeah. Ah, it right. shouldn't be, it shouldn't, you should, the audience shouldn't be thinking about the sound. They shouldn't be thinking about, you know, how was how this faded in or, you know, how was this panned or any of that stuff. If they're not, if they're thinking about that, then you've lost them. because they're not following the story. The important thing is what's happening in the, in, you know, in the story and the audience should be focused on that. And my work should be invisible. It should just be natural. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm always striving for.
0: What did you find about this project? And just, you know, when you're in that world, uh, in James Brown's world, what what was unexpected about? I mean, how much exposure of a fan did you have to his music? What What did you find?
1: Well, it was uh, his 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 rapport with the band was amazing. I mean, yeah. all of those musicians all said the same thing. All of those guys all were saying the same thing. They were focused on him and are watching him yeah. and you know, he couldn't read music, but he knew what he wanted and he was the band leader and you did it his way, you know. And they might not have liked it all the time, but man, they were tight and it worked. You know, he he was in command of that performance and they had rehearsed things and you know, he but he would do things spontaneously and they would have to always be watching to see. Uh, Know, and they would follow him. And that I thought was just awe-inspiring, really.
0: Wow. Uh, no. Um. Was there any tracks in there that you hadn't heard before, or been exposed to, that you were, were some of your favorites? Uh okay. Oh,
1: uh Well, I hadn't seen the Tammy Show before. Okay. That really that was amazing. That whole Tammy Show, particularly at the end when when uh, you know Mick Jagger's talking about how you know, or one of the one of the other. Pundits there, the
0: talking heads of and yep. Nick Jagger sitting backstage
1: watching
0: him, oh, and what, they were what, watching it as yeah, which, which and, I think it was, like, it was such a controversial Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, and then there was so much controversy around that show, and I think I don't know if it's been explained before, but to hear it this time, I was like, wait, what? That he actually comes forth and kind of settles these rumors. Wow. Yeah. Did they? Yeah. Um, are they? Did they ever do a, a soundtrack release for this or any music release?
1: I... Don't know if they did. I was kind of disappointed about the, the way that HBO didn't really publicize this film too much. I mean, it sort of came out and they yeah. didn't really promo it. I didn't see any promos for it.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, it, I didn't see any reviews anywhere. It was very strange. I didn't even realize it had come out until oh, a couple of weeks afterwards. Yeah. Uh, so, so you know, I, did, I didn't quite understand that, but I guess they, you know. I don't know. Maybe they thought that Get On up being released right ahead of it was to not, you
0: know,
1: hmm. was going to hurt it, and they just like, oh. Yeah. Well, I, what, what I found you, that yeah. a little bit disappointing. I wish I wish more people had seen it
0: because I think it was really terrific. Yeah. I, I mean, I when I after I watched it, I was just, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was yeah. telling all my friends oh you have to go see us. You have to go see us because I, I think, uh, you know, I wasn't even a James Brown fan. I mean, I, I, I'm a fan, but I didn't like, you know, it wasn't my go-to music. Any lastly, I guess you know any words of advice to folks who are in documentary films, you know, up and coming folks of uh, you know, kind of take. I mean, we spoke a lot about specifics, but you know, what, what's kind of a few things on top of your mind of things that kind of cross your mind when you're mixing documentary films?
1: Uh, well, the obviously to understand the dialogue is the most important
0: thing. Okay. Great. I think
1: in any film, that's the most important thing. I want to hear every single word that's spoken unless the director says to me, I don't want the audience to hear that. Okay. You know, then we will mask it in some way. But uh, beyond that, if it's in the track, I want to hear every single word. So that would be my first advice is Mm -hmm. to make sure that the dialogue can be heard and whatever that takes, you know, I mean, if it's an old crappy unintelligible track, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. So at some point, you're going to have to say to him, look, if you really want the audience to understand what this guy is saying, I think you should consider subtitling it. Okay. Right. Uh, it, it does get to that point. You know, I mean, the, the certain sequences in the James Brown that were so Danny Ray's was so hard to understand.
0: <laughs> right. That
1: all of his stuff was subtitled.
0: Yeah.
1: And he was speaking English.
0: Yeah, I know. You know? So, right.
1: And that was an interview too. That wasn't even an archival track. Oh, he, just the way he spoke was yeah. was very difficult to understand. So Alex wanted to make sure that the audience got what he was saying, so he subtitled it. Mm. Uh, and that happens fairly often,
0: you know. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh,
1: but that's that would be my best advice. And then uh, after that, it's to follow the story, make sure that you know you don't get sidetracked on loving a piece of music too much, and or Getting invested in sound effects—it's—it's it's all about just telling the story. Whatever works to tell the story.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Well, th- Tom, thank you so much for, uh, for the insight onto this project. Hopefully, you know people will have a chance to see it, and and I don't know—I'm—I'm—I'm I, I, going to watch it again. But I want to watch it. I got to find it at someone's home theater that has a better setup than I do because uh-huh. I want to hear that five one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if you can hear it in five one, it's pretty
0: good. Nice. <laughs> that, actually came out soon. So cool. Well, Tom, thank you, thank you again for taking the time to talk, and um, I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, so good. No, me too.
0: That's fine. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, I'll, I'll okay. see, see you very soon.
1: Take care.